Do you think that classical music is not for you and you don't know where to start? Or maybe you're a fan already and would welcome a fresh approach. You've come to the right place. Perfect pitch is for everyone, beginners or experts, whatever your age. Lend Nick Healy Hutchinson your ears for his weekly dose of classical music that will enrich your life. It's not a bad thing to mix things up occasionally, and in that spirit, I think it's time to pay a nod to the importance of percussion. The son of a friend of mine was asked once, Do you play a musical instrument? To which he replied, Yes, I play the drums. Back came a supplementary, Okay, but do you play a musical instrument? That's a fairly damning and ignorant understanding of the importance of percussion, especially in a large orchestra. A Beethoven symphony without timpani, or a Mahler one without cymbals and all sorts of other gadgets to convey the right sound, would be unthinkable. And whatever your views are on Ravel's rather silly piece Bolero, whoops, just let my own slip through there, although a live performance is always quite exciting, it would be nothing without those two drums at its heart. Don't panic, I'm not about to fill your ears with a few minutes of drums, but the xylophone comes into this category, and there isn't a great deal of classical music which makes for easy listening. So I'm going off-piste a bit, to start today with a tribute to the golden age of ragtime, to demonstrate a few minutes of quite brilliant dexterity. On the xylophone is Maria Lelikova, and on the piano, Pavel Zupov.
The British composer Samuel Coleridge Taylor was just 37 when he died of pneumonia in 1912. We don't know a huge amount about him, but what we do know is that his mother was English, but his father was from Sierra Leone. And that's actually where he was evicted without even knowing that Samuel's unmarried mother was pregnant. And it was she who gave him the name Samuel Coleridge Taylor in honour of the poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge. His mixed race brought with it some unpleasant prejudices, as you might expect around that time. And yet his music was widely popular in the States, especially with African Americans, so much so that he even contemplated staying there. In fact, his popularity was enough for him to be presented to President Theodore Roosevelt, a rare thing indeed for a man of mixed race in those days. In the UK, he'd been a talented enough violinist to go to the Royal College of Music, where he won a scholarship and was even encouraged by none other than Edward Elgar. So let's stay with the lighter side of life for a few more minutes and listen to one of the four movements of his African suite, originally composed for piano. Danse Negre has lots of African swing in it, with a charming love theme at its heart. It's also, I think, got more than a hint of Arthur Sullivan in it, as in Gilbert and. Danse Negre by Samuel Coleridge Taylor is played here by the Chicago Sinfonietta, conducted by Paul Freeman.
I think we're overdue some Mozart. Written in the year of his death, 1791, Mozart could not have had any idea that his 27th piano concerto would turn out to be his last. And yet the piece has so much melancholy throughout that it's hard not to wonder whether he might have sensed the end was near. This slow movement, the Larghetto, a passage of the utmost simplicity, is played by Friedrich Gulder, accompanied by the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra, conducted by Claudio Abado. Stand by if you're feeling a little sensitive.
We're going to finish today with some proper drama. When the Italian composer Rossini died in 1868, a number of other composers got together in the hope of writing a requiem in his honour. Verdi's participation in the project was the Libera May, but the whole thing got abandoned just days before its premiere. When the writer and humanist Antonio Manzoni died in 1873, Verdi set about writing his own requiem in his honour. It's a colossal piece of some 90 minutes, requiring four soloists and choirs. The piece is full of drama and operatic in its scale and style, so it's not really surprising that despite huge success in its early days, it lay in some abeyance until the 1930s. Nowadays, it's one of the most widely performed requiems in the concert hall. We've listened to the Agnus Dei on an earlier occasion. Today, we're going to listen to the passage which started the whole thing off, the Libera May. If you've not heard this before, don't be put off by its tempestuous opening, almost desperate in its force. It is, after all, a plea to be freed from eternal death. It progresses to the very familiar Dies Irae refrain from earlier in the piece, but the real gem is the passage which opens quietly with the word Requiem. You'll know it's coming after a single note on the oboe. I don't know how many times I have heard this piece, but I can honestly say that I have never heard the five-minute Requiem passage sung so exquisitely. Let me explain why for a minute. Mirella Freni is the soloist. Verdi finishes the five minutes with two words, Requiem, Requiem. The last of those is an octave leap, that's a jump of eight notes, from B-flat to Hahe B-flat. Everyone has heard of the term top C in music. Well, the B-flat is one and a half notes lower. This is the moment which makes this a standout recording. In music, if you want to indicate a soft, quiet sound, you mark the score with a P for piano, meaning quietly. If you want it quieter still, you mark it with PP. And if you want it barely audible, you mark it PPP. As if the leap isn't hard enough, PPP is what Verdi requires of his soloist on the second requiem. Very few manage to achieve it, and it's always a tense moment in a live performance. Getting the note is one thing, reaching it without straining is nigh on impossible. Listen to the absolute perfection which Freni brings to this moment, a note which he then sustains without wavering for fully ten seconds. I could hardly believe my ears when I heard it the first time. As the piece reaches its climax, Freni does in fact have to negotiate a high C. Obviously, I am not a soprano, but my guess is that this is an easier demand to meet for two reasons. First, the singer climbs to it on a series of notes, and secondly, she has the luxury of belting it out at maximum volume. The last thing to say about this, the final passage of the piece, is that it embodies the previous 65 minutes. Even though the other three solos do not participate, all the drama, fear and tenderness of the whole Requiem are summed up in this passage. As a whole, Verdi's Requiem was the first piece of music which made me really realise the wonder and versatility of the human voice. The Liberame from Verdi's Requiem is sung here by Mirella Freni with the choir and orchestra of the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra conducted by Herbert von Karajan.
That's it for now. Thank you for listening to Perfect Pitch with Nick Healy Hutchinson. He'll be back again next week with some more treasures for you, so please do join him then. And you can subscribe to this podcast by clicking on the link below.